So now I have to follow that. <sighs> it's always good to just, you know, cry right before you get up to speak. Jeremiah, we're so proud of you. Doesn't it just make your heart surge when people give their testimony and when somebody stands up that we prayed for? We prayed for you, Jeremiah. We, we pounded heaven with your mama for, for years. And it uh, makes my heart so, so, so happy um, to see what God has done and to see you give him glory for that. That's just so cool. You know, there's some people who get rescued um, and are no longer addicted, but they're also not living for Jesus. And so there's something so spectacular when somebody can see the hand of God in their life and just give him all the credit for it. And I think that's how he designs us to live our lives. Whether we were ever addicted to drugs or not, uh, I can certainly stand up here and say all of these things that God did, they point to Jesus because of his goodness and his grace and his mercy in our life. Isn't that just amazing? Oh, I love it. Um, uh, let's, let's pray. Father, we just in, invite your speaking voice to be here, Lord. May your, your words be my words, Lord. May our, may our hearts be open to what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, real quick. I have this little sticky note in my notes and I'm just going to get it taken care of. I felt like the Lord told me uh, yesterday that there's some, there's someone in here uh, and you just feel, uh, you feel like you have lost something that, that, that something has died in you, whether that's your hope, your dreams, your passions, a promise, whatever it is. And I just heard the Lord say yesterday when I sat down and started writing these notes that the things that you thought were dead will be breathing in life again. And so if that's for you this morning, take hold of that and declare that the things that you thought were dead will be breathing in life again. They are not dead, but they will. Uh, they will come back to life. All right. Uh, I want to review a little something because I know not everybody's heard it. And Here's the deal. When you're casting vision, you just have to say it over and over. So I apologize in advance, uh, but I think it's important. So I want to tell you a little bit, kind of just who our church is. And uh, for, for about eight years, anytime I've asked the Lord for vision, he gives me the same picture. And this year, I finally got smart enough to share that with you guys. Like, hey, maybe this is important and not just for me. Uh, and so... It, it's what we refer to as circle lines and tents around here. So I'm going to do this real quick for you guys just to get you up to speed. Uh, so uh, I just, one day I was praying, we had some people in or something, I guess is when I got this vision the first time, but uh, it was John and I were standing up kind of on the side of a mountain and we were looking down and so it's kind of like a big basin down there and it's like an army camp, okay? And so John and I were standing up there and we were speaking and, and giving orders and everybody down in, in, in the camps were in lines in front of us. And then there was this huge fire right in front of everyone uh, and, and we were gathered there and we were giving instructions the lines, the fire. And then all of a sudden it broke and all of the people broke out of their lines and they went into circles over on the side, smaller circles, lots of circles. And in the middle of the circle, there was fire. And then everybody would break from the circles and they would go with their own personal family into their tents where you could see the fire. You know, it's like I'm looking above and you know, like how a fire looks um, like it's flickering 
Um, and so, so there was fires in the tents. And then uh, what was happening also in the middle of all of that is uh, we'd have like these, these wounded, um, wounded people just kind of dragging out of the darkness into our camp. And they would be joining the circles and the tents where they would come and they would gather around the fire and kind of be mended. And then eventually they would come into our lines. And then the whole thing would just repeat. So, so we'd be in lines and then we'd break to circles and then we'd break to tents. And there'd be people adding into circles and tents. And then we'd come back in lines and circles and tents. And, and all the while the fire is burning and the, and the main focus of, of everything that we're doing. It's right there in the middle. And um, that's crazy. And I'm known for crazy pictures from the Lord. Um, and so I just started saying, what does this mean exactly? And I feel like the Lord has just said, hey, this is a strategy for who you guys are. Uh, in other words, the lines is like our meeting here today. We all sit in lines and we have one or two people stand up and give you some instructions, right? And, and so we meet in lines and circles would be like small groups, uh, Wednesday nights, even Bible studies, four by fours, all the things that we have going that are, that are small groups. So that's like a circle, uh, uh, that you have. And then your tent, of course, is your home uh, where you dwell with your family. And the key, the key part of that is that the fire is the reason that we're doing all of it. And the fire is burning. And that represents uh, the presence of God uh, and, and him being with us and the main part of our life. And so um, I shared this Several weeks ago, John then did a study on all the, the times fire shows up in the Bible. I highly recommend listening to the podcast if you missed any of that, because it's just fascinating to see how that happens. Um, but the whole idea then that we've been focusing on is if we're going to host God's presence and live with him burning brightly in our lives, then, then what does that look like? What, is, what does that do? You know, because we talked about we want to let our fire be burning, not just it's easy to let fire burn in the church building because we're only here for a couple hours together. So we can come in looking good, pretending like we love our spouse and cringing, you know, giving our children the eye when no one is watching uh, and, and put on our best face, you know, like we can all have it together. Unless you're like me this morning, like I have a kid here in puppy slippers and highlighter all over her face and I don't even care today, guys. Like I just like get out the door. Um, but, but really for two hours... It's easy to let our fire burn, but it's harder when you go home with the people who know you the best to live like God's presence is the most important thing in your household and in your relationships. And, uh, you know, is, is that fire allowed to be the focal point in your home and in your heart uh, and in your small groups and when you're talking with other people? And so if we're going to live with a bright fire burning in our midst... It's good to pay attention to it, uh, to kindle it, you know? Have you ever had like a fire in the fire pit? And if you don't just keep adding wood or pushing it around, it's going to eventually just kind of be embers. So we, we got to pay attention to it a little bit. And we must live like we believe that we host it. Not just oblivious, not just walking through our lives like, yeah, I have the presence of God, but I'm never paying attention to it. We've got to live like we believe that we host the very presence of God. I mean, do you know that you do that? But do we live like we do that? Do we live? We, we don't want to be caught up 
and not even realize that God is among us, that his presence is here. This has happened in the Bible. Turn to Genesis 28. I love this story. This is Jacob, and he has a dream. So Genesis 28, and we're going to start in verse 10. So Jacob is traveling. He leaves Beersheba and travels towards Haran. Okay, and verse 11, at sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp, and he stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. The ground that you are laying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust on the earth, and they will spread out in all directions to the west, the east, to the north, and the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants." I'm going to skip down to 16 where Jacob wakes up. He awoke from his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't even know it. I wasn't even aware of it. Wow. But he was also afraid and he said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. And so then he he names this place Bethel, which is the house of God. So, so Jacob is just traveling. He's minding his own business. And he has this revelation from the Lord that happens to be uh, in a dream where he sees angels ascending and descending. And the Lord appears and tells him something. And then when he awakes, what does he say? The Lord is in this place. And I didn't even know it. We can be in the presence of God and have him be speaking and doing all kinds of things and not even be aware of it. Without the revelation, we can be totally oblivious to the presence and the work of God in us and around us. We have to have this place. So he names this place. This is the house of God. Now, you can read this and say, that's great because he had a massive dream right there in that place. So, Ashley, it's about that place, right? No, it is not about that place. In the Old Testament, it was about that place, the house of God. But now we are the house of God. All right, so it's not just that spot that is the house of God. In John 1, uh, Jesus, it says Jesus came and dwelt among us. Do you know what that word dwelt means? To actually, he made his tabernacle among us. In other words, the house of God was made flesh among humans. So the house of God then wasn't just a place. It was this person that became flesh and dwelt among his people. He built tabernacle with his people. And then in John 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying, hey, the Father's going to send another helper. I'm giving you a little piece of information here. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's going to send another helper that's going to abide with you forever. And he's kind of telling him, hey, this is the way the kingdom's going to work. This whole thing is changing up here, guys. 
And Paul goes on to expand on that for us in 1 Corinthians 13 when he asks the question, do you know that you are the temple and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? He's talking to the church. So in other words, the house of God is no longer just about a place where somebody's had an encounter, but now Christians are the very dwelling place of God. We are the house. We host the presence of God in our spirits right now. And the house of God is functioning under an open heaven all the time where there's angels ascending and descending, where the voice of God is made clear to us, uh, reminding us of his covenant, reminding us of his promises, telling us about who he is, giving a picture of what the kingdom is like. That is what the house of God is set up to do. And so now if we are the house of God, that means whether you've been a Christian for two hours or 57 years, you have full access to heaven all the time. And when you think about that, that's challenging to me. Because do we live every day like we have full access to heaven? for everything that we need or anything that needs to be done around us? Do we, do we live like we believe that we host the fire, like we house it in our very being? God is crazy. This is who we are, church. You were created to host the fire of God, and to live with access to heaven. And listen, we must have a revelation of that in order to live it out. And when it is revealed to us, when we get it, then we also have to respond. So number one, we need a revelation of his presence, but we also need to respond to the revelation of his presence. And I want to kind of look at uh, this one section, and I just love this. I could just preach off of this all the time and get something new out of it. It's in Matthew 16. Uh, Peter has this awesome revelation, you guys. It's so cool. So let's go to Matthew here. So I'm going to read it to you. This is just such a great picture of somebody in the Bible who gets like, they have this revelation of who Jesus is. And it kind of just shows us what, uh, what this formula is here and what, this, what revelation looks like. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist and some say Elijah and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And what's about to be spoken has not been spoken by anyone yet. It has not broken the silence. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven 
And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I love this encounter because Peter gets a revelation about who Jesus is. Because God said, hey, no, no human has said this to you. God revealed this to you. That's revelation. He showed you this. So he gets a revelation about who Jesus is. And then, then, then in response, he gets a revelation about who he is. Because Jesus changes his name in that moment and says rock. And when you get a revelation about who Jesus is, and then you get a revelation about who you are, that's something that God can build on. That's, that's the way it's supposed to be. So Jesus says, yeah, whoa, that was not from, that wasn't from human. That was from God. You got a revelation there, man. And I'm going to call you rock now. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And I don't think that Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my whole church on this rock, Peter, because uh, that just doesn't seem like him to build it on one man. I believe he's talking about the rock being the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah and the son of God. And upon that, he's going to build his church. And, and, but I just love, there's something so amazing about hearing something new from God and then responding to it. Cause here's the deal. We can have all kinds of revelation all day long, like something be revealed to us that didn't come from our mind, but then we have to do something with it. God doesn't just reveal things to us for fun. I mean, I think he enjoys it, but he wants us to respond to it. He wants us to do something with it. You know, our revelation should lead us into a new encounter with God where our hearts and our minds are renewed, where our faith is stretched. I mean, has anybody ever, you know, when you have a thought that is not your own and God is revealing something to you, it's not usually like something that's like a piece of cake, right? It's not easy. It's not like great, like, oh, no problem. This is so easy, God. I always find that when I am just like in God's presence and getting something new from him, that is so stretching. It's going to require me to put my faith on the line and stretch it a little bit more. And I think that's just kind of the nature of revelation there. And also as we respond to it, as we encounter God, our hearts and our minds are just renewed, just renewed in his presence. And if you do nothing with a revelation from God, it only makes you religious. Revelation is never given to increase your head knowledge. That's just not the way God works. He's never going to reveal something to us to make us smarter so we can have more head knowledge. He doesn't want religious people. He wants people who are walking in the supernatural, who are following his voice. It's given so that we can see who God is, so that we can understand what his kingdom is like, so that we can understand who we are and respond to that. And I love that, you know, because here's, here's the thing is when we, when we have revelation, it's like that heaven opens and we're getting something from God and we're responding to him. And it's like that whole, the same picture from Jacob, just angels ascending and descending the Lord talking to us and us being aware of what he has said, of who we are, of what he is. And then we have to do something about it because like, here's the deal. If God reveals himself, which he already has as a healer, and God says, I want to heal people. And you just are like, man, that just resonates in your spirit. It's like something fresh. And you're like, 
God has released his presence to heal people. And then we just know that in our heads and we walk around sick people all the time. Like, are we doing anything with the revelation? No. But if I, if, if I understand, hey, God's in the healing business and he wants to heal people, then my response then should be, maybe I should pray for someone who's sick, even if it's uncomfortable. And see what happens. And here's the thing. Take heart because putting into practice our revelation and our understanding is something uh, that is hard and it doesn't require perfection. You don't have to get it right. I mean, like the very next thing out of Peter's mouth, I mean, like two verses later, he, he says something to the Lord that sp- it should sound really good. Like the last thing he said, it was really good. And you know what? Jesus' answer is, that, my friend, is not from heaven. Get behind me, Satan. That's the very next thing that Peter says. Now, it sounds good because Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to die on the cross. And and Peter's like, oh, no. Oh, no, it's not going to be so because, like, I just had this revelation that you are the son of God, the Messiah, and you just told me I was the rock, and, like, this is going to be awesome, so you're not going to do it. And Jesus is like, dude. That one's not from heaven. That one is all flesh. I mean, that's really what Jesus says to him and says, get behind me, Satan. Like, oh. But then there's another time in Acts 2 where Peter stands up and starts talking and 2,000 people run to the altar begging to know Jesus and the first church is born. And I like Peter. He gives me a lot of encouragement because if God can call him rock and use him in spite of his big feelings and, you know, craziness, he can, he can do it with all of us. And that tells me too, like, listen, when we have revelation and the Lord affirms us and we step out in it and then he goes, that my friend wasn't from heaven. (laughs) We can take that. Help us, Lord, you know. Here's the thing is that we learn. Because if you watch Peter over the course of the Bible, he is transformed. You see the maturity happen in Peter. You, you watch him mature time and time again. I mean, like this is the dude who they come to arrest Peter and he like, or Jesus and he like cuts somebody's ear off, you know. I mean, he is like hasty. But just over the course of time, you just see him. You just see him maturing. And I'm not sure that we would see as much maturity if we didn't see him cutting off the ear and getting rebuked by Jesus and all of these things. And that's exactly how it works for us. When we, when we have things revealed to us by the Lord and we're trying to respond to them and put them into practice, if we don't get them right 100% of the time, that's okay. Because we're going to learn from that. We're going to build upon that. And I just see that, you know, you have another revelation. You get in the presence of God and he's going, hey, that wasn't quite it. And you're like, okay, show me what you're really trying to show me. And then, you know what, we're going to have moments where we're rebuked by the Lord, like, hey, that wasn't it. And we're going to have moments where we get to put our revelation into practice and see people run begging to be saved. But if we choose not to ever do anything with what God tells us, then we will just be a bunch of religious people with a bunch of head knowledge and no action and no fruit and no nothing. And I am not okay with that. I would rather have it be a little messy, but have fruit and growth and maturity than to have it be perfect and have nothing. 
We have to let our revelations from God lead us to encounter with God. We have to. We have to. And we have to allow the Lord to show us how to walk it out. And we have to let him be able to say the words. That wasn't it. We have to let his light and his fire shine in every part of our light, or in every part of our lives, in every part of our homes. Because we can't just turn the light on in one room and leave the other room dark. If we're going to really do this thing for the Lord, we've got to invite his fire to penetrate every area even the darkest one. We recently, um, we had one of our kitchen lights go out and we just let it stay out for a really long time. Um, so, so here's the way our kitchen works. Like we have a, a light over the sink here. Then we have this middle light. That was the broken one. And then we have a light over the counter. So you turn on the lights. It's no big deal, you know? And so what was it? Months? John's like, thank you. A year. Sorry, at least a year. Okay, so we lived, we lived in our house, and we had we had light. It's not like we couldn't see. Okay, so we lived like a year without fixing this thing. Who needs all the lights anyway? We're saving a lot on electricity, um, and so so we just did that. You know, like you just don't get to it. You just forget. Like, hey, we should work on that on Saturday or whatever. Like, you just you all have projects like this in your house, right? Okay, that's making us feel better, and. Um, and so recently, John's like, hey, I'm going to work on that light. And he gets up there, and it's like the easiest fix ever. I mean, like it wasn't like anything. And so he turns on the light, and both of us are like, whoa, it is so bright in here. And like, I kid you not, for three days, every time one of us goes in and turns on the light, it's like, John, look at the light in this room. I can't believe how bright this is. We didn't even know what we were missing. Um, and it, like we would just laugh at each other because we lived for a whole year without this light on. And so then when you turn it on, you're like, oh, like you can see everything, you know, maybe we should take it back down. Uh, <laughs> but it was just like, it just made our house amazing. It was like, so if you're, if you're really not happy with your house, just go ahead unscrew one of the lights for about a year and then turn it on. You're going to be like, I love our house. This is so amazing. (laughs) But here's the deal. We live like that in our spirit. Do we not? We get okay with a little bit of darkness because it's not that big of a deal because we can still see We cannot be okay with a little bit of a darkness for a year before we do anything about it. We have to get every light working. We have to allow the Lord's fire to burn everywhere in us. And we'll be like, whoa, look at my heart. It's so amazing. Uh, Because when you turn on the lights in the kitchen, all of them, you're like, oh man, there's like crumbs right here and I didn't even notice that and you clean it all real good and you're like, I can really tell. This is like really nice. And see, that's the same way that the Lord brings his fire to our hearts. If it's exposing something, the darkness that's there, all he's saying is, oh, now we can really see that. Let's clean that up for you. And then we leave going, this is amazing. 
I can't believe how light this is. I can't believe I was willing to just live with that little bit of darkness when the fix was really easy. And that's the deal. The fix for your darkness is really easy. Jesus has already done it. He's already paid for all of it. It's having that revelation that Jesus has already taken care of this. So I will repent and I will let that fire come in. I will not settle for just a little bit of darkness any longer. I will encounter him and I will let that light in. I will have the revelation of God's working presence because here's the deal. God is always speaking. He doesn't run out of things to say to you or about you ever about any of us. And so if we are in relationship with a God that we host in our spirits with access to an open heaven, angels coming down and going up and God's voice being poured out to us all the time, then we should respond to that. Let's not be Jacob who says, Oh, the Lord was here and I didn't even know it. Let's be people who are aware of God's presence and aware of his work. Not just in us. I mean, we surely want that happening. We want God to be bringing light into us. We want him to be revealing himself to us. We want to be encountering him. But do you realize that, that your being the dwelling place of God is not just for you? Because if I'm functioning with full access to heaven, then when my friend is suffering, I have access to anything up there for them also. And if I am aware, if I have the revelation of what God is doing, then I can bind things on earth that are bound in heaven, and I can loose things on earth that are loosed in heaven because part of having the keys to the kingdom is we have to know what's happening in the kingdom in order to use them the right way. That's going to require a revelation again, understanding what's allowed in heaven. I'm going to allow that right here in this place. What's not allowed in heaven. I'm not going to allow that right here in this place. And that's what binding and loosing looks like. So we have to live in the place where we're aware of God's presence. Let us not be caught unaware. Let's be aware that we house the presence of God. And let's not be afraid of that. Can you, I mean, can you just adjust your focus? This is really wrong thinking is to think that God's fire and bringing light into the darkness is all about like punishment or like because you're not good enough or because God is disappointed with that sin. Like that's just not who he is. So let's stop giving him a bad rap. God brings the fire into our hearts and exposes the darkness to say, oh, let's clean that up right there. That's not how you're made to live. That's not what's supposed to be in your heart. Listen, I've already paid for that on the cross. Let's just clean that out right here. You can go ahead and let let that go and give that to me. And that hole in your heart, I'll go ahead and fill. Uh, So let's just do a trade out right here. That's what God exposing sin in our life is, is, is supposed to look like. It's gentle and it's loving. And it's because he's going, that's not who you are. Not because... 
oh, you filthy person that has this sin that you just can't get rid of if you would just stop. That's not who God is. Some of you might have had dads like that, and so that's like the voice of God for you, but that's not the voice of God. God's voice is gentle. His exposure hurts, but it's for our best. And it's always done out of love. It's always done because he wants to see us go to the next level. He wants to take revelation and build on it and build on it and build on it. Upon this rock, he wants to build us. He wants to build us up. He wants to take us from that first revelation of who he is and build it and build it and grow our maturity. That's going to take some failure, some messiness, to a point where we can stand up and be who we're called to be. We should be living from revelation to revelation, an encounter with Jesus under an open heaven, accessing what's there, seeing what's allowed and releasing it, seeing what's not allowed and binding it. Because you have that kind of authority. Jesus said we did. I want us to end with this. I heard this little catchy song on the radio. Apparently it's a good radio song. I don't listen to the radio enough, but it says, has two lines. It says, Go ahead and live like you're loved. It's okay to act like you've been set free. And those two little lines just got me all excited. Because here's the deal. All the things that we've been talking about today, if we walked out of this place believing it, even if we just walked out of this place acting like it's true, even if you're like not real sure yet, but you're like, what, what if we act like we'd been set free? How would you be different? What would you do differently if you were just going to act like you've been set free? What if you were going to walk out of these doors and live like you were loved and not be carrying around all this mess of rejection and wondering if you're good enough. But what if you just said, I'm just going to live like that for today. For today, I'm going to walk out of here believing that I host the very presence of God and have at my fingertips everything that I need or everything that anyone else around me needs. And what if we lived like that? How would your life be different? Mine would probably be different. I mean, this is challenging me too. I don't, I don't have this down. But the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it is in us. And God wants us to give it away. He wants us to know who we are. And he wants us to act like who we are. You guys stand up. I'm just going to kind of just pray a broad prayer over you. But if you have anything specific that you want prayer for, I want us to have a response for that. I want, I want to see heaven loosed in this place. If we believe that we host it and it's here to give, then we shouldn't be walking out 
sick or grumpy or complaining or angry or bitter. Put your hand over your heart. Father, we know that your presence is already in us, but I pray that you would just loose an extra measure in us right now. Father, that every person would suddenly become aware of your presence, the feeling of your presence. Begin right now to reveal yourself to us. Show us what you're doing, what you're saying. I bless everyone in this house with eyes to see and ears to hear. May we not be people who wake up and go, ha, the Lord is in this place and I didn't even know it. Make us aware right now of your presence, of the bigness of your plan to dwell in your people. Father, I pray that as we encounter your presence, as you reveal who you are, that hope would be restored in this place. That bodies would be completely healed. That minds would be renewed. That every piece of darkness in us, we would invite your light to shine on so that it may go. May we not be people content to live with just a little bit of darkness. We want to be people who host your fire well and who are aware of it. We want this fire to burn in our midst here. We want your fire in our homes. Lord, continue to show us who you are and who we are in response to that. And then build on that rock. Layer after layer, may we grow in maturity. May we be full of confidence to, to step over the chicken line and be brave and put into practice the revelation that you're giving us. I bless everyone in this house with boldness with the ability to walk it out. Father, thank you for sealing what you've done in our heart, for, for changing our minds and opening our eyes in the Spirit. Teach us how to do this, Lord. Even if we have to look like Peter while we do it, teach us how to walk it out and not just be another religious person full of head knowledge change us transform us walk with us release your kingdom in us and around us and through us in Jesus name amen All right, um, so if you need some prayer real quick, we meet in the back and uh, 
there's a, the oil and gas lease thing that in just a minute. So, like, don't leave all the way. Stick around for a few minutes. <laughs> 